All right, and the people of the Lord said amen. 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 Wow, how wonderful it is to be able to sing and to praise the Lord and to uh, be back in His house. You know, Sunday is kind of a recharge for all of us. We spend a busy week out in the world. And we uh, face the challenges, temptations, struggles that we see in the world every day. And we give out so much of our heart, life, and energy to serve the Lord. And so when we come to church, it's time that we get refreshed and that we're renewed in our spirits so we can go out this week and do it again. And that's uh, the great thing about worship. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter spent the bulk of chapter 1 reminding us about what a great salvation we have. Can you say amen? I mean, we're kept by the power of God. Our place is reserved for us in heaven. Redeemed not by corruptible things like silver or gold, Peter says, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And all this great news of salvation we had to celebrate. And when you think about that, the good news of Jesus Christ's salvation uh, that we receive is sometimes overwhelming for our mind to understand or comprehend. We begin to sink into the depths of salvation and all that it took to accomplish our redemption. It's absolutely incredible. So once we kind of wrap our minds around the fact that we're saved and that this salvation is something that's really good, then the next question ought to be is, what do we do with it? I mean, it's great, it's wonderful, it's amazing. How can I... How can I respond to God's grace and mercy through my life? And let me just suggest kind of a simple thing. It's to serve Him. Serve Him. Our admiration, our adoration for Jesus Christ and all that He's done for us really ought to be reflected in how we live our lives every day. What we do with the days that he's numbering for us here on this earth. And so Second Peter begins to take up that challenge, uh, that instruction on what a believer should do with our life uh, once we come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. It'd be really great, wouldn't it, if we just could take that salvation, sit down, enjoy it, uh, and let that be it. But that's far from God's plan. And so the Bible gives us some information about what we ought to do. And one of those things that Peter speaks about, one of the great doctrines of the Bible sometimes, as we we kind of forget about it, but to Southern Baptists, it's at our core. It's the very center of our, our faith and beliefs is the fact of this idea that every believer is a servant, a priest. And we, we call it the doctrine of the priesthood of believers. That when God calls us and when He saves us, that He engages us in service to Him. And so Peter begins to write about that. You see, the priesthood of believers is based on the teaching of Scripture. Uh, it begins in the Old Testament with several different passages of Scripture. Even at Sinai, when Moses was receiving the law, God was speaking about this soon-to-come priesthood of the believers and he says this and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation later on Isaiah would 
kind of amplify the very same thoughts in his prophecy about the priesthood of believers. And he says this, But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. And then the fulfillment of that we see in passages of Scripture in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 says this, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And then Peter begins to amplify the idea of this priesthood of believers. Follow with me if you would in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. I want to read through verse 12 in the scripture. Says this. It says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Pray with me if you would this morning. Father in heaven, I pray that this morning you'll clear our minds and hearts. Father, those things that might be a distracting from your word today. Thank you for the praise and music that we shared earlier. Father, thank you that we can celebrate you in so many ways. Now, Father, as we come into your word to celebrate you, I pray that your Holy Spirit open the scriptures to our minds and hearts. That, Father, that this word will fall on good soil. That we'll be able to take it in and see it produce much in our lives today. Father, help us to be hearers of the word and doers as well. And we give you thanks, Lord, for the message of scripture. For the power that it has to transform our lives and to change us. So, Father, help us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, first of all, if you look with me about this thought, idea of the priesthood of believers, if you uh, begin, I want you to see the the formation of this priesthood. Uh, You know, we see the example of the priesthood in the Old Testament, that the priest stood between God and the people and ministered to the people. In, In a sense, we're called to do that today as believers to minister to a lost world. And so God has formed his his priesthood. Uh, first of all, if you look at verse 4, the formation is always around Jesus Christ. That uh, God ordained, designed 
this priesthood of believers, his people, to be formed around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 4, you'll see that the Bible says, coming to him. You see, in everything that pertains to our, our spiritual life and growth and salvation, it always focuses or forms around the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that we are as a person, a human being created, saved, redeemed, forms itself around the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, He's the head of the church. Uh, he's the hope of salvation. Uh, everything centers around the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at some of the things that Peter says about that very thing. As we're coming to Him, who are we coming to? It says to Him as, uh, as, as a living stone. You know, immediately, Peter, I think about what he says about the Lord Jesus Christ and Peter's own experience. Seeing Jesus as a living stone, not a dead stone. Or not an inanimate stone, but a living stone. It's a, really a reference in a sense to the resurrection, isn't it? Jesus Christ, who was alive, was dead, and now he lives again. Peter's remembering Christ through the resurrection. That we serve a risen Savior. That he truly is the Son. He's in the world today. I know that he's risen no matter what men may say. We serve a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Peter realizes that our service to God is around the resurrection, around the risen Savior. And in that idea of a risen Savior, there's always the understanding that great power raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So for our service today, we have this great power accessed in the person of Jesus Christ. And so in Him, we have everything that we need to serve Him. Peter saw Jesus Christ and he saw a living stone. Not only that, if you look a little further in verse 4, uh, he, he says that a living stone rejected indeed by men. You know, the ultimate rejection of Jesus Christ, especially in the nation of Israel, was what? It was the cross. It was the, the, the ultimate form of rejection. I can't imagine a, a more violent, a more vicious uh, a, a more awful way to be rejected. You know, it's one thing to, for somebody to say to you, hey, I don't like you anymore. Something else for somebody to crucify you. You see, they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples, hey guys, I'm going to be turned over in the hands of sinful men and they're going to crucify me. So now all of a sudden, Peter sees in the sense of this calling as a priest, this sense of gratitude for what Jesus endured for Peter's eternal life. As believers, we need to see the same thing. Catch that same idea is that Jesus Christ died for us that we can have a life. Have an eternal life and an abundant life. And so now what do we do with that life? We serve Him. Just as Christ was obedient to the Father, came and died on the cross of Calvary, then that example is for you and I today as His servants to be obedient to Him. And so Peter saw Him in that way. He goes on in verse 4 and says this, a chosen by God and precious. How about that? That's, that's God's plan. It's always been God's plan. It was before He created anything that from the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ was that sacrifice. So God has this plan. And so you and I as believers, we have to realize that if God planned this out through His Son, Jesus Christ, that certainly in our lives, He has a plan for us. And that plan is to, is to serve Him. It's to be committed to His purpose for our life. And so 
Peter reminds us that he was chosen by God and precious to God, right? Look at verse 6. One other thing in verse 6. He goes on to say that uh, he was a chief cornerstone. Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. Well, this is in ancient times. They, they uh, built a different way than what we do today. And we put in a foundation, but the first thing in ancient times in a building was the cornerstone. And that cornerstone was selected for a certain reason. It had to be able to bear the weight. It had to be uh, uh, of, a, of a certain shape because the cornerstone in a, in a building determined how big the building could be. It, it determined how, how, what size it was going to be. Uh, the cornerstone from that point on, once it was laid, determined whether the building was in plumb or out of plumb or the walls were straight or they were crooked. It determined whether things were right. It was the very center that everything came back through the course of building that building would measure itself from. It took all of its instruction from that cornerstone. Peter says, that's our Savior. Jesus Christ. And so for the church, we, we, we get our commission. We, we get our instructions. We, we get the essence of our, our life and our being from Jesus Christ. Not from the world. Not from society. Listen, society that shouldn't determine who you are. Listen, our culture and who people says and what people say doesn't make us who we are. It shouldn't. But only how Jesus Christ sees us. Only the value that He places on our life today. Only the desire and what He determines for us ought to really matter in our lives today. Wouldn't that be a great thought if we really lived our lives that way every day listen I'm not saying being callous not, don't be callous and say I don't care about what anybody thinks about me but I want to say be secure and realize that what Jesus says is all that counts and so Peter realized that that's the cornerstone that's where we build and so the formation of, of, of our service is around Jesus Christ let me give you one more thing about formation as well not only the formation is around Jesus Christ but the formation is the church. What's being formed in this world today is the church. Uh, you know, Paul writes about that very thing in Ephesians chapter 5 when he talks about that God is working on His church and that He's going to present to the Lord Jesus Christ a church without spot or without blemish. A church that's ready, the bride that's ready. The Bible calls in the New Testament the church that compares it in some of the parables as a, as a pearl of great price. Something that's so valuable. If you've ever read how pearls formed, have you ever read anything about that? Yeah, it's a little granule that gets inside this oyster and it's so discomforting for him that it secretes this thing that covers it, that makes it more palatable and smoother and it keeps getting smoother and smoother as the time goes on. God's doing in His church. He's put His church in this world. And let me tell you, the church rubs the world the wrong way. But yet over and over in the world, the church is being shaped and formed into what Jesus Christ wants it to be. And so He's, he's founding His church. Look at verse 5. 
He says, you also, reference to to believers, you also as living stones, there it is again, living stones, stones like Him, alive spiritually in Jesus Christ. He makes us alive in Him. And so now we're alive. We're alive to what? We're alive to Him. He says, are being built up as spiritual, as a spiritual house. That's a picture of the church. You know, this building, Garrison Baptist Church, is made up of concrete blocks, concrete, and wood, and plaster, and sheetrock, and all those things. But let me tell you, the church of Jesus Christ is made up of believers. And we're being built up into this spiritual habitation where God dwells and where the presence of God is. And where out of that comes worship. It's the church that Peter's talking about. And each one of us are a part of the church individually with our own assignments and with our own place. Well, that's the formation of this priesthood. Now, let me just say just for a minute, look, when I call you a priest, don't, don't be afraid. I'm not talking about somebody with a collar. Hey, I, I mean, I have a collar, but it's not like that kind of collar. I'm not, I'm not talking about clergy. It's something different. What I'm talking about is a servant of God. That there's this servanthood of believers. Now, listen. The formation of this servanthood or or this priesthood is around Jesus Christ and it is the church. But once we understand that God is forming something, then my my next thought is what function does it have? I mean, if that's what we are, then what do we do? And so Peter goes on and he talks about some function of the priesthood. Now, here's what he says about that very thing. Uh, Look at verse the end of verse 5. I, I want to give you several things about this idea about what do we do. And we're going to take them from different places of Scripture. Uh, but one of those things that God expects us to do is that we should be presenting spiritual sacrifices. Uh, isn't that what the priests did in the Old Testament? They, they brought sacrifices and they presented sacrifices on behalf of people to God. Now look, we don't do that anymore today. Jesus Christ is the one and only sacrifice. He's the one and only one who shed his blood. And it's not by, Scripture says, blood of bulls and goats and things like that, that we're redeemed, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. So he shed his blood for us. We're redeemed by him. Uh, but there's still uh, sacrifices that we uh, sh- should be making. Let me give you some of those. One of those is a sacrifice of yourself. You. God wants you. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So one of those ways is that we offer up sacrifices to God is through ourself. We, we, We give ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, listen, how's that happen? Or, you know, I've wondered about some of those things in the Bible and, and uh, studied them. And, and some of those things like uh, uh, how do we put the flesh to death or, or how are we crucified with Christ and how do we die with Him? And it, and it really all revolves around self. Self. 
do we present ourselves to Jesus Christ? Do we give him our ourself uh, as Jesus Christ? You know, Paul says that his desire was to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ in his body. And Paul says, whether by life or death, Paul says, if I live, I want to live for Jesus Christ. If I die, I want to die in such a way that it'll bring glory to him. And so that's certainly a way Paul understood this thing about self and about presenting himself. Uh, John the Baptist, I think, put it more simplistically than anybody in all the Bible about how that happens. When he said, he, speaking about Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. You see, at that point in ministry, John had, had been at the center of everything. I mean, he had been baptizing, preaching repentance, baptizing hundreds of people, waiting on the Messiah, and then all of a sudden Jesus comes. And John says, now it's him. It's about him. And it can't be about me anymore. It has to be about him. You see, once Jesus Christ came into our hearts, our personal Savior, it has to be about him. And it can't be about us anymore. That all happens with true humility where we think about ourselves less than we normally would. C.S. Lewis says it like this. I want you to listen carefully or you won't get it. But here's what he says. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's God's desire for us, isn't it? It's, how, it's, it's Him. It's about focusing on His beauty and His wonder, His majesty, His Lordship, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, several years ago, our association, and then the year after that, our church went out to Arizona and we worked a couple of years in, uh, with a Navajo uh, nation. And the first year that we went, uh, I think Mike Howard and I went from our church. And then after that, we came back and took our church uh, on that project as well. And I remember that year that uh, on our way back to the airport in Phoenix, we decided we were going to take a little side trip and we went to the Grand Canyon. And so uh, we, we parked on the south side of the Grand Canyon. And, of course, I'd only seen pictures of it, right? Uh, I remember walking through that parking lot. And all of a sudden, for the very first time, when your eye catches the majesty and the magnitude and the incredible beauty. And right there is a placard from the book of Psalms. Uh, and, and you're looking out over this vast thing. And I want to tell you what, I, I begin to tear up and and wonder and my first thought wasn't how great I am but it's how great he is how great he is and so as we begin to present ourselves to him we have to think of uh, about ourselves less and ponder about how wonderful life is in Jesus Christ Philippians chapter 2, I was not long ago reading some background about passage of Scripture. And some Bible scholars believe that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, was a song. Adam, there's your new song. It was a, a praise, a chorus that the church sang. 
as they met together to worship. And, and here's what it says. It says, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a, of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of a man, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a song. It's all about him being Lord in our lives today. So one of those sacrifices that we make is ourselves. Listen, let me give you another sacrifice. Not only ourself, uh, but the sacrifice of giving. Of giving. Paul writes about that in Philippians chapter 4. Paul was in prison as he wrote this letter to the Philippian church. Remember, he was chained to a Roman guard uh, every hour of the day. He was able to receive friends. uh, But Paul was lacking in a lot of physical things. And so here's what he says when someone comes to visit him from the church. He says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul says, Thank you, church, because in my need, you met my need. You sent things to me. You sent food. You sent resources You sent uh, things that I had need of. And I want to thank you because now I'm abounding. And Paul attributes that to the sacrifice of the church. Giving. I thank God that it's such a privilege for me to pastor such a giving church. You guys are great givers. There's never been a time that I've called on you with a specific need or a specific thing that you haven't stepped up and given. And given many of you sacrificially in those causes. But yet that's a sacrifice that God calls us as His priests to make to Him. Another sacrifice is the sacrifice of prayer. <clears throat> you say, well, what about that in Revelation? There's a scene in Revelation where an angel is standing by the altar of God. And that angel has incense and he's offering up something on this altar in heaven. Listen to what he's offering in Revelation 8. Then another angel having a golden censer came and stood on the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. You see this altar that sits before the throne of God. This angel is offering up the prayers of the saints. How's that a sacrifice? Well, we all sacrifice in, in bringing our needs before God. What does that do? When we pray, what really happens when we pray? Well, it's conversation with God. I know that. But you know, some of the other things that happen when we pray is that we affirm God's sovereignty. Isn't it? I mean, why would we go to God in prayer if we didn't think He'd do something about it? I mean, what's the point? It it. it, it it really speaks about our faith. That we believe God not only can, but He will do something about the needs and the situations and the circumstances. You may be here this morning, your heart's broken. You've gone through some of the most difficult times that you've ever faced in your life. 
And you're wondering how in the world can I move forward? Listen, how about prayer? How about trusting a Father who loves you more than anything else and offer up that sacrifice of prayer? Prayer. Well, even that one. Not only prayer and giving and yourself, but also another one is praise. Hebrews talks about that praise. It says this, Therefore by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. The writer of Hebrews says, look, we ought to be continually praising God what with the fruit of our lips, our acknowledgement, our thanksgiving, our affirmation that God is God and that He's glorious. Continually. You know what continually means? It means all the time. Everywhere. In all circumstances. Give God glory. Yeah, it's at the grocery store. Yeah, it's at Walmart when that person shoves their buggy against your car. Yeah, it's when you can't get into the restaurant and sit down because half the tables are closed. I'm just kidding. All the time. Give Him praise. Because He's worthy of our praise. We, we affirm Him and we praise Him. Well, one last thing about sacrifice is the sacrifice of our service. Hebrews goes on to say this there. Uh, it says, but do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Do not forget to do good and share. That's our service, isn't it? You know, over the course of the time that I've been here as a pastor, one thing that's held true about this church that I've been amazed with is how you're willing to serve. Now, some of you here know that I've called on you to do some things that you probably wish you'd rather not I had done. I mean, I probably ask you to go in situations and circumstances that might not have been fit for, for a lot of people. I mean, you've crawled under things. You've held up things. You've been in yucky places under some of these opportunities to serve. And you have been faithful to serve. You've been a teacher. You've been a leader. You've been an encourager here at church. You found your place and you serve God here. And I want to thank you so much for that. Because that's worship. That's sacrifice. That's what a priest does. They make that sacrifice of service. Well, not only does it have to do with presenting spiritual sacrifices, but real quickly it has to do with proclaiming spiritual salvation. That God has called us to tell people about how to be saved. Right? Why does he do that? Because, well, let me tell you, one of the things that we ought to be excited about telling people how to be saved is the effect and the impact that salvation has on somebody's life. You want to see somebody change, tell them about Jesus Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, they're a new creation. New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So every time we tell someone about Jesus Christ and tell them how to be saved and how to know Him as their personal Savior, there's this powerful opportunity for them to be forever changed, to become a new creation. 
old things passing away, all the shame and the guilt, all the history and the weight and the penalty of sin, all gone. All gone. Forever changed by the power of the gospel. And you and I have the privilege of introducing somebody to that message. Telling them about Jesus Christ. How amazing is that? That we had that opportunity. The effect that it has. You know, Peter writes in verses 6 and 7 in our scripture. He talks about Jesus Christ being a, a cornerstone. And he says for some it's a stone of offense. It's a stone of stumbling. There'll be many people in the world today. They'll hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'll ignore it. And it'll be their fall. And then there'll be others who will hear about Jesus Christ. And it'll be a stepping stone to eternal life. All because Jesus Christ died for them. That's the effects. When you think about it, he goes on in verses 9 and 10 and talks about what, what salvation is all made up of, the elements of it. It's repentance, reconciliation, and redemption. We repent, turn from unbelief to believe in Jesus Christ. And then once that happens, we're reconciled to God, that we were a people separated, and now we're not separated anymore, he says. And then finally, we're a, a, a people that are redeemed, that we were bought out of the darkness how the kingdom of darkness brought into his kingdom of life. How wonderful. What a change, what a, a transformation that is. And it's all because the servants of God proclaim scriptural salvation. Salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, there's that participating in, in spiritual separation. Listen to what Paul writes, or excuse me, Peter writes in verse 11. Uh, he says, As behold, I, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. What's Peter saying? He's saying your testimony matters. Let me say that again. Your testimony matters. How you live your life matters greatly to God and His kingdom and to other people who are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It makes a difference how you present yourself, how you talk, your, your ethics, your morals. They matter because they're a testimony of Jesus Christ. What does He say? He says, because of your conduct that when you're persecuted and people speak against you as an evildoer, what's going to happen? That they're going to see your good works and then they're going to glorify your Father in heaven. You see, that becomes the focus of the priesthood is to glorify God. To glorify God. So, let me just say to you this morning, if you hadn't realized it, welcome to the priesthood. Welcome to servanthood. Welcome to the call of God if you're a child of God. Welcome to the greatest experience in all of life to serve the living God. Bow with me if you would and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful today that you have given the most precious price that can be given for our salvation, our eternal life. And that's your very life, your shed blood. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can rejoice and give thanks 
And in that salvation also is that calling to service. That we're a special people. A holy nation. A priesthood of believers. With a calling to serve you. Thank you, Lord, that you're so invested in our service that you provide strength and opportunity and wisdom on how to serve you. That you've given us a great passion to serve you as well. Father, I just pray this morning as we think about the great challenge and what Peter encouraged these believers with a long time ago that God your word continues to be true and eternal and it encourages us today to be that servant that you've called us to be in Jesus name I pray amen <clears throat> I invite you to stand this morning and <clears throat> we're standing and <clears throat>